Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace City Online. My name is David Hederman. I'm the teacher and pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us and being a part of our community online. Today is the last day of our Beatitude series. For the past two months, we have been looking at this opening section of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, where he teaches about uh, who is blessed and how to be blessed as part of the kingdom of God. And what we've seen week after week after week is that with each Beatitude or blessing, there's both an internal work that God does in in our hearts and in our lives, as well as an outward action that we display in the world around us. And so with that, we cannot do this out of our own strength. We can't do this out of our, our, our own wisdom. We need the provision, the strength, the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives to be able to enact these beatitudes. But they also require our participation because uh, we're, we're called to, uh, to submit our will to His and, 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 and be a people who are meek. We're called to... Um, mourn with those who mourn, to bring peace into this world, to pursue righteousness in the world around us and, and in our lives. And so this one list reminds us at, at one time that uh, about how both we have a complete and total dependence on the Lord for these virtues to be present in our lives and our responsibility to cultivate and practice them in a fallen and broken world. And when we do these things, when we practice them, we will experience the blessing of being caught up in the redeeming work of Jesus, knowing that we're living out our family values and putting on display the hope of the kingdom of God. Now, while they are a blessing, and, and Jesus here teaches us that we are blessed when, when we do these things, it doesn't mean that they're fun. It doesn't mean that they're easy. It doesn't mean that they are without hardship. We've, we've said each week that these are hard to enact, that they uh, sometimes are, 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 can even be painful when we put them into practice in our lives. And it's in the last two Beatitudes that Jesus gives us, the ninth, ninth and tenth Beatitude, where he teaches that we should, in fact, expect hardship, expect opposition, and even suffering to, uh, even suffering to, follow, to be a result of following him and living according to his ways. But even while expecting that, Jesus t teaches us that we're blessed in and through it all. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12, as Jesus ends his introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, when, when I read those verses, I, I, I don't know how to emotionally react to them. In a sense of, uh, there's, there's both a warning and a promise within, within the, those verses. There's the warning that this is going to happen, right? You, we are, you are going to be persecuted. You are going to suffer injustices at the hands of others. You're going to be gossiped about. You're going to be slandered. But, but there's, so the, the warning is there that this is going to happen. But there's also a promise. There's a, a promise that we will be blessed when this happens because we are taking our place in the long line of those who have committed their lives to the work of the kingdom of God. So, so blessed are you. When, when, you're, when you're persecuted, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed when you are insulted, because great is your reward in the kingdom of God. And so emotionally, I'm kind of split, because when, when you read it, there's the grim reality of what we will face, but there is also a bold hope of a promise that's certain. And that, that bold hope is inspiring, 
It is that even though we're going to face this, we know that, that, that we're part of the kingdom of God. We, we know and, and that there's a reward waiting on us there in the kingdom of heaven. And that bold hope and promise, it, it is inspiring for us to it, uh, to, to do this, to be able to be willing to go through this and, and have this experience. And while that is inspiring, what's, what's a little bit crazy and, and maybe a little bit ironic is that it can also be tempting in a way. Uh, because these are some of the verses that I think many evangelicals can take and twist them to serve their own purposes, to serve their own agenda, and, and maybe even, even justify some bad behavior. I'll, I'll say it more plainly. Like these verses don't give someone permission to be a jerk or to be offensive and claim, well, I'm being persecuted for my faith, for my faith if someone uh, calls you out on it, right? It, it, it doesn't give us that. These verses also don't give permission to ignore or downplay uh, the religion of others, the, the dignity of others, or the worth of others, and then claim you're being persecuted when someone calls you out on a sinful or wrong action. Like, th this verse is, is not something that we should think on or call back to, like when, when we say Merry Christmas to someone and maybe they say season's greeting in response, right? Like, this, 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 like that's not saying that when I do this, then I'm being persecuted and that's a war on Christmas, all right? That's, that's just not it, right? Like, that's, that's not persecution. You know, the, the war on Christmas was when Herod killed all the newborn baby boys in Bethlehem, all right? That's the war on Christmas. That's persecution. And we don't need to think, well, oh, that's, that's an example of it. It's, it's, a, it's a weird way that we can be tempted to kind of misapply this verse uh, into our life. Also, I think sometimes, especially over this past year and over the past six, seven months with, um, with just COVID coming across the, the nation, different governments, different states, different cities have been trying to figure out how do they give guidelines and pass different ordinances to help uh, shorten and, and slow the spread of the virus. And to be sure, some of those guidelines directly impacted churches to where some churches weren't allowed to open, weren't allowed to, to meet. And you can have the argument that that's unconstitutional and, and there's one to be made there, right? Like I'm not a lawyer, I'm not qualified or competent to speak into that. Uh, you can have the argument, you know, is it against the law? Um, you know, is, is, is it right for, you know, uh, certain type of businesses to be open yet churches to be closed? Okay, you can have all that, but I think you need to be really careful about saying that's persecution. Now, like, like is it, does it run afoul of law? Maybe, yes. Again, I'm not qualified. But to say that's persecution, I think, is, is turning a blind eye to the persecution that happens all across the globe, to the real and legit persecution that happens all across the globe. Because those, those people there, they were not denied the, the, the right to be able to claim Christ and to be able to worship Him in a thousand different ways, right? To be able to, to share the hope of the gospel. Like, at no point was that pulled away from them. Yet we have so many brothers and sisters in faith that if they are caught— you know, talking about Christ or praying or, or posting something online that speaks to the hope of the gospel, then they're arrested, they're beaten, and they're flogged, and that's persecution. And so, so often we, uh, there's just this temptation because of the promises that they also claim, uh, that they also lead us to, to take these verses and to try to um, errantly find or, or claim that we are, are, are being persecuted. And, and maybe you disagree with both of those examples. You, you might have stopped listening and paused the video and, or, or cut it off. And maybe, maybe that, that, that's what she did. But I, I went with those because I, I think oftentimes there's a temptation to take these verses and to try to apply them to scenarios that they were never intended to, to address. So, so that can happen to be sure. Or oftentimes many um, evangelicals will just ignore the teachings of God uh, and, and get called out for it and say, well, you know, I, I do profess to be a follower of Christ, so I must be being persecuted for my faith. 
And, and that's their logic. When in reality, I want to say, well, maybe it's because you're acting like a self-righteous jerk or refusing to bring peace or, or, or refusing to love your enemies or refusing to consider the needs of the other before your own. And maybe that's why someone is calling you out. And so what I'm trying to say or trying to help us understand is we can't ignore the teachings of Christ and then claim you're being persecuted for your faith just because someone says you're, you're being unloving or unjust unkind. And I, I think that's wrongly and errantly trying to claim these verses and apply them to your life. Now, if I lost you there and you disagreed with that, may, maybe the question that you might be saying is, well, what does it look like to rightly apply these verses to your life? And, and let's answer that question. Let's do work there, because if you disagreed with me on the first part, we, I think we can find some common ground here. Uh, so let's look at the first one. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Okay, week four, we looked at, uh, at blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And in that week, we defined righteousness. Uh, and we, we talked about how righteousness is the right relationship between you and the Lord and you and your fellow man. And we, we looked at examples of how righteousness is intricately tied to justice as the righteousness of God is seen in his acts towards and on behalf of his people. The righteousness of God is seen in his acts towards his people and his righteous acts on behalf of his people. For instance, like we see God's righteousness when he delivers the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. They're suffering in Egypt in an unjust, uh, unright, you know, unjust, broken, uh, sinful place, uh, suffering that slavery. Yet God intervenes, delivers them out of that, and delivers them into the promised land. And so he takes them out of a place of brokenness and into a place of, of, of wholeness. And so we see God's righteousness in that he stands against the corruption, against the oppression, and delivers them into the promised land. We also see the righteousness of God in and through Christ, who, who delivers us out of our sin and into life with him. We see the justice of God in that, right? Our, our, our sin, the wages of our sin is death, and God lovingly provides that death for us, that sacrifice for us. Christ takes our place on the cross. And so on the cross, when our faith is, is, is placed on him, our sins are given to him, and righteousness and wholeness is given in return. We're justified before the Lord. And so what you see in all this, again, you see God's righteousness in the way that he acts towards and on behalf of his people. But then also, and we said this week four, it's there where the, God, the righteousness of God then dwells within the lives of his people. And so when there is brokenness in the world around them, or around us, when we see sin in our own lives or in our community, when they're in our communities, when there's injustice, when there is a neighbor uh, in, in need or hurting, that is an occasion for followers of Christ to act in a righteous fashion. We preach the gospel. We preach the gospel and talk about how it's Christ who saves us from sin, leads us to confess sin, repent of it, and turn from it. So we preach the gospel, and then we picture the gospel by meeting and serving tangible needs of those around us, helping them come out of situations that are broken and step into uh, wholeness and step into, uh, 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 step into peace and like that we talked about last week. And so this righteousness that we see in Scripture, that we see in the Beatitudes, it is pursuing a right relationship relationship with the Lord and with those around us. That's what this is speaking to. And it's promising us that when that's our pursuit, even with that being a noble goal, even though with that being a noble aim, we should expect 
and we should expect suffering and persecution to come as a result of it. So the persecution comes because of our pursuit of righteousness. And when you, when you do the thought work on it, I mean, that, that makes sense. Because when we're pursuing righteousness, that means we're addressing something that's broken and, and, and that's, it's, uh, that's off in this broken and flawed world. Which also means that, that we're addressing and being around and being with people who are hurting. And so many times hurting people hurt others. And that only amplifies the need all the more for us to live out these beatitudes, right? For us to, that amplifies the need all the more for us to be peacemakers, for, for us to be meek, for us to be merciful, pure in heart. It amplifies all the more our need to embody and live out the beatitudes because it is an occasion to put on display the hope and, and the strength and the comfort that is found in the kingdom of God. But here we see that persecution comes because we are loyal to Christ and his pursuit of righteousness and justice in the world. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Because of righteousness. The next beatitude falls right in line with this one. And it, but it also gets a little bit more specific. Uh, verse uh, 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Okay, but because of me, not because we were uh, mean to someone, not because we were rude to someone, not because we were a jerk to someone, but bless you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all these kinds of, because of me, because of our loyalty to him, because of our loyalty to Christ, his calling, and the way that he calls us to live. Blessed are you when we are persecuted because of him. And he goes on, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So look, we can claim this verse and apply this verse to our life when we are wounded and persecuted because of our faithfulness to Christ and his ways. Not because of your faithfulness to a party platform, to an ideology, or even to a certain culture. It's because of our loyalty and faithfulness to Christ and Christ alone. But what's telling to me with this verse or, or I guess another poignant aspect of this verse is Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who went before you, who were before you. M many of the prophets in the Old Testament, they were sent not to the Gentiles, not, not to the Gentiles, not to those outside the nation of Israel, but rather the prophets were sent to God's chosen people. The prophets were sent to those who, although they knew the one true God, had turned away from him and ignored his commands. The prophets were sent to those who ignored the Lord and rebelled against his call for justice and righteousness within the land of Israel. And they were persecuted. They were persecuted by God's people for calling God's people back to a right relationship with him and a right relationship with one another. They were persecuted for calling God's people back to righteousness. And again, they weren't persecuted by the pagans. They weren't persecuted by the heathens. They were persecuted by those who should have known better. And, and when, when you hold that in view, like when you remember that history of who persecuted the prophets, blessed are you when you're persecuted in the same way that the prophets were, when you hold that in view, then suddenly this beatitude, it is given a warning to expect persecution, maybe from even within the family. 
Expect persecution even from those who are followers of Christ who have maybe drifted in their allegiance to him or in their pursuit of his mission in the world. And I gotta tell you, those are the ones that wound the most. Those are the ones that, 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 that wound the most, right? Because like where, where you feel like, okay, I'm pursuing Christ, his call in my life. I wanna live with his virtue, with his ethic. I wanna be a peacemaker. I wanna be merciful here. I wanna be kind. I want to be committed to the redeeming work that he's doing in this world. And we give ourselves to this effort and then only to find that we're being insulted or spoken against or misunderstood by those who also claim to be following the same Christ. And, and when, that, when that happens, it, it just, it, it cuts to the quick because there can be this notion of, look, I'm pursuing this and you're the one who's coming against me. And so like, it's just, I mean, talk about, talk about stealing joy in that moment, right? It's like, I want to pursue Christ, his mission in the world, and yet I feel like I'm getting wounds from the family and it steals our, our joy of, of being caught up with Christ. It's, it can rob purpose and passion when it feels like you're getting stabbed in the back But Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. Why? You are in line with the prophets. You're in line with the prophets who were committed to the work that God was doing among his people and in his people. You see, when we suffer for our loyalty to Jesus and the righteous work that he is doing in this world, he says, we are blessed because we know that our lives are being well spent. He knows that our lives are being well spent and that we are contributing to his good and eternal purpose. The reward is great and it is to be found and fully experienced in the kingdom of God. And so, again, it's just my emotional reaction to these two verses, I I, I do, I struggle with it because of the warning and, and the blessing and the promise that it contains. Because when you read the Beatitudes and you go through them and it's, you know, like, blessed are those who mourn or the, the, the meek, you know, the merciful, um, the peacemakers. I, I read that, that list and I think, wow, if someone's living out that, those virtues in their life, if someone is living that out, why would that ever make someone an object for persecution and abuse? But then at the same time, like, I've seen it happen. Probably you have seen it happen too when someone is engaged in this work and they, they get opposition and push back. And so then we understand, well, yeah, maybe we should expect for that to happen. And here Jesus is telling us flat out, hey, it's going to happen when we stay loyal to him and to his call on our lives. So knowing that, we have to fight back against, certainly against the temptation to become jaded, for sure. Right? We have to, we have to fight back against the temptation to, because we remember the promise, greater is the reward in heaven, um, you know, for there's the kingdom of God. We have to fight back to, um, to falsely claim persecution is happening uh, to us or, or to amplify it all the more, right? Because we don't want to demean or diminish or discount um, the, the very real and very uh, overt persecution that our brothers and sisters are experiencing around the world. And I know that there's a, a conversation about degrees and whatnot in there, but it just, we need to be cautious that we don't falsely claim it uh, that is happening to us. So we, we, need to, we need to guard against that. And then, yes, we need to guard against um, being combative 
or defensive in our faith. Because when you face legit opposition or even threat, uh, or even the threat of it, whether it be from those who, who are not followers of Christ or from within uh, the, the family, as I mentioned earlier, there can be a temptation to lash out in pride or be dismissive of those who bring the insults. But in 1 Peter 3.15, we're given this command. But in your hearts, reveal Christ as Lord. Okay, so our loyalty is to him. Set apart in your hearts, Christ as Lord. Our loyalty is first to him and him alone. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And talk about being a peacemaker in that moment, right? When people try to persecute, call out, or stand against we respond with gentleness and kindness. And we can do so because we've set Christ as Lord and our hope is in him, not anchored to their approval or disapproval of us. So we can, we can respond with gentleness and kindness and we can put on display the hope that we have in Christ. In Christ. And I, I know... I know that I've spent the majority of this morning speaking to the, the warning that we have about the persecution we might face and kind of the, the, the different aspects of it and our response to that. But we do need to remember as well that there is a promise in this, that, that there is a blessing in this, um, that when we face this persecution, there is a promise of a payoff. And yes, great is your reward in heaven. We know that the kingdom of God is ours because we are, our lives are given to Christ. Christ is inside of us and we are, uh, have given ourselves to the kingdom work that he is doing. So then we should absolutely and boldly pursue the work that is given to us. One of my one of my favorite, or not favorite, one, uh, I, I, I overshot there. It's a great story. Now it sounds like I'm uh, demeaning or diminishing it. Acts chapter 4, let me just set it up this way. Acts chapter 4, uh, Peter and John, uh, two disciples of Christ, they have been um, uh, preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, and people are responding to it. The, the great numbers are being added to the church. Like it is an exciting time for the church because the, the gospel is spreading like wildfire. So much so that the religious leadership of the day uh, called Peter and John in and are like, hey, why are, you, why are you preaching Christ the Messiah? And they, and they threaten them and they can arrest them and they can throw them in prison and they can legitimately persecute them for their faith and for them preaching the gospel. And so after Peter and John kind of give an account back to them, eventually they are released and they go back and they're with the other believers and they have this kind of prayer meeting or this prayer session, if you will, and they pray together. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, we get one of the sentences that they voice in this prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I, I love it because they, they, they knew they faced opposition. They just faced the opposition and they knew it was in front of them as well. They knew they were going to face hardship. They knew they were going to face persecution that was real and intense and violent and bloody and brutal. And in their prayer, they don't pray that it would stop. They don't pray that God would end it. They don't pray that it was over. What do they pray? They pray for a boldness to stay loyal to Christ and to his word. And so when we read the Beatitudes and we truly see how countercultural they are and even how corrective they are within the church, and then we grasp how much 
pushback and opposition we might face in actually living them out, that prayer is still needed. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So we spent two, two months on this list, church, and we've looked at this internal work that God does in our hearts and our lives when we place our faith in him. And we've talked about how they are expressed in our actions. My prayer for you and for me and for our church is that we would boldly live them out. That we would be poor in spirit over what's broken in our life and over what's broken in the world around us. That we would mourn with those who mourn. That we would submit our will to his and show the strength of what it looks like to live a meek and humble life. That we would hunger and thirst for righteousness in this world. That we'd be a people known for mercy, known for bringing the goodness of God towards those in distress. That we would be pure in heart in our devotion to him and to him alone. That we'd be a people who bring peace into this world. And through it all, we would be willing to suffer out of loyalty to him and how he's called us to live. May we have the boldness and have that faith to live in this way and draw others to the hope of his kingdom. Because when we do, we know and experience the blessing of being caught up in the eternal redeeming work that Christ is doing in this world. And we become a blessing to a world that so desperately needs one. Let me pray for us. God, we love you, and we thank you, we thank you, we thank you that you are a God of grace, that you are a God of mercy, that you are a God who is righteous, and you have made a way for our relationship with you to be set to right. Then you've called us uh, to the work of, of writing our relationships with one another. And so, God, I pray that we would be drawn to the work that Christ has done on our behalf where he made a way for our sins to be taken and your righteousness and your holiness to be given in return. And God, I pray that that would take root in our heart and in our soul and the Holy Spirit would birth the fruit inside of us of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, Lord God, so that we can be peacemakers in this world. We can be a people known for mercy, that we can be devoted to you in, in, in all of our ways, so that, Lord God, even when we experience pushback and opposition, even when those from within the family uh, who have drifted from Christ or his mission, or maybe you're just confused with how we're living, Lord God, when they insult or come against us, Lord God, may we respond with gentleness and respect and show and demonstrate the hope we have in you as we have set you our Lord God. May we be known for our allegiance and loyalty to you and toward your work of righteousness and justice in this world. God, we love you. We love you. Help us to be people known for our love of you, and known for our love of others. God, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.